So I get the honor and privilege of kicking off the first part of a four-year series. How about that? <laughs> that was pretty good. Um, yeah, it is an honor to be here. Uh, and let me uh, just say to uh, Pastor Jimmy, Ramona, congratulations uh, to Christian and Faith. Uh, just a great time last night as we uh, participated and uh, brought them together as they became one. And that God will definitely continue throughout their many years of bliss and happily being married. God will honor that. Now, the reception. After the service, the ceremony, we had the reception. And then about an hour after eating and, and conversation, all of a sudden, the music kicked on. And you could feel the bass, you know. I don't know the song, but I know there was some bass. And so I looked over on the dance floor, and there were a few folks out there. They were just, you know, breaking it down. And you learn a lot about people on the dance floor. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, huh? But lo and behold, I scanned over, and who did I see? Our own very Pastor Kent. But he wasn't on the dance floor. He was kind of over sitting at a table, and you could see his head nodding, foot was tapping. He was, snap he was ready to get out there, and I don't know your age there, Pastor Kent, but I think they called it uh, cut a rug. Is that what they called it? He was, I think he was ready to let loose. But I think the spirit must have held him back. But next time, we'll have to see that. He'll show us some dance moves. But anyway, it is an honor to be here. Uh, always uh, a privilege when Pastor Jimmy, uh, the church staff, invite me to, to stand before you and just share with you God's word. Uh, as he shared with you, I am an Army chaplain. I uh, used to be at Fort Jackson. Now I'm down at uh, Shaw Air Force Base. Yes, there are some Army folks down at Shaw Air Force Base. Um, but let me tell you a little bit about my coming into the military as an Army chaplain. So I was at a church. Um, been there for five years, felt God's calling to become an army chaplain. Already had all of my education, all of the requirements, everything that needed to be done. So they accepted me, raised my right hand, left the church, came straight down to Fort Jackson. That's where the army chaplain school is. Uh, went through what we call the basic course. Showed up in June, July, August, and September in Columbia, South Carolina. Had I known that there was another option where you could have done it in the winter months, I probably would have taken that option. I didn't know. So sure enough, sweltering heat. But praise the Lord, I graduated. Uh, let, graduated on a Friday from Fort Jackson. Uh, Connolly, my wife, our three young kids drove down to right outside of Savannah, Georgia, to a little town called Hinesville. How many of you heard of Hinesville? Yeah, there's a few hands. I bet you most of you are veterans or currently serving, aren't you? Because there's not a whole lot in Hinesville, except for Fort Stewart. And so I showed up at Fort Stewart in process with the 3rd Infantry Division. And six weeks later, six weeks later, I was getting off of an of a airplane, a bird, in Afghanistan. Now, I wasn't prior service, had no experience. All I knew about was ministry, was pastoring. I'm still trying to figure out which patches do I put on and where do they go and how do I wear all this stuff? Who do I salute? Who do I don't salute? I'm still trying to figure this all out. Now I'm in a combat zone. But I quickly figured it out, and I really came to know that one of the greatest uh, ways that I could really provide ministry, religious support, and really show my soldiers that I love them was to spend time with them, especially before they were rolling out of the fob, the wire, wherever I was located, before they were going out on a convoy, on a mission, whatever that was, to spend some time with them, especially as they were going through a lot of the pre-briefings. Uh, these uh, pre-combat checks, PCCs, PCIs, and they would get an intel brief. 
Usually there was the, uh, an intel officer and some other folks that would come in, talk to the platoon leader, platoon sergeant, company commander, and they would lay it all out. Here's your mission. Here's the intel that we got. Here's what you need to accomplish. I mean, all that information was given to them. It was a lot. And you'd see all of them with their little green books out, we called it, and they're just writing, frantically getting all this information because it was a lot that was given to them. And they'd immediately leave then. They would go out to their convoy where their vehicles were, and they would get ready to, as we call it, mount up. It means get in, lock loaded, and ready to roll out of the wire and go on a mission. Now, one of the things that I did was I started attending those meetings with them. I would sit in the back, listen to all the information, and then I would walk outside as they were preparing, as I said, to mount up and roll out. I would always gather them together and say, I would like to have a word of prayer with you. I want to pray protection. I want to pray that you all come back. Now, there was various different religious groups that were there. My soldiers, some of them didn't even have any religion, agnostic, atheist. But I'd always ask them, is everybody okay with me giving you a word of prayer before you go? I don't know how many hundreds of times I've done that in, in deployment. Not one time have I ever had a soldier say, no chaplain, we don't want your blessing on us. They were always very grateful for me to provide that to them. Why? Because the moment they rolled outside of that wire, they were going into a hostile territory. One of the things that, during those pre-briefings that they got, of all the intel, one of the ones that they were really concerned about was where is the enemy? Who is the enemy? Where is the enemy? And what kind of combat power is the enemy? What's the intel saying about the enemy? And so they knew as they were rolling out, they knew they were in a war zone. Now, let me ask you this question. Based upon that information, how foolish would it be, do you think, for a platoon leader, a leader, or a company commander, whoever is going to lead those soldiers into combat, how foolish would it be for them to disregard all that information? For them to say, you know what, we don't need that. We don't need any of that information. I don't need that intel. I don't need any of these pre-briefings, these checks, whatever they're giving us. I don't need it. I'm willing to take my soldiers as they are, and let's just go out and get the mission done. That would be foolish for them to do that, right? Yes, it would be. Now, the question is that I have for you, another one is, what about you and I? We're not in combat. When you're driving this morning, you weren't in a war zone. Nobody was trying to kill you. Now, maybe you was on the I-20 out here or Clemson Road, and you, sometimes it can get a little hairy and dicey and scary out there. I got it. But you know what I'm talking about. You're not actually in a war zone when you look around you. But do you know that you actually are? You are in a war zone. And if you're in a war zone, that means that you are in combat. Every single day from the moment you rise up until the moment you go to bed, and even sometimes through the night, you're waking because there's thoughts going in your mind, all those things throughout the day and throughout the night that's going between your two ears, it means that you are in a war and you're having daily combat and combat with an enemy. Let me ask you a few other questions along those lines. Do you ever wonder why you can't shake a bad habit? Pastor Jimmy's welcomed you. This is the uh, one week into 2023. We all have our goals we want to accomplish this year, resolutions, whatever you may call them. Some of us are still uh, on track. Some of us have already failed. But how come we can't shake these bad habits? Every year I try to do this. Every year I had these expectations, things that I want to accomplish, but I fail every year. I can't shake the bad habits. Maybe it's how come I can't connect with God? 
I have a goal this year to, to draw closer to God because the Bible says in order for us to draw closer to God, what? For him to draw closer to us, then we had to draw closer to him. There's a condition there. But every year I try to get closer and closer to him. But when I get to the end of the year, it just feels like I failed. Why do I lose my temper so easily? Why does my spouse or my children, why do we fight all the time? Why do I seem to live in this state of anxiety or fear or depression or doubt? Or maybe why do I often find myself making the wrong decision? Just some questions that I'm throwing out there to you. Do you know why, if you were able to answer those questions, a man I'm sure is probably many more things that maybe you think, you know what, I am in a battle. Well, the reason why is because there's an enemy that's out there. There's an enemy that's out there. Pastor Jimmy said that we're kicking off this series about the mindset. It's about a, a battle of the mind. And so today and then over the next several weeks, Pastor Jimmy will continue to unpack about this battle that we find ourselves in. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. See, that's the physical. It's not against flesh. It's not against blood. Paul goes on to say, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, is what Paul is telling us. He goes on to say it in another one of his writings, in 2 Corinthians 10, he says this, For though we live in the world, we would all would agree to that, you're here this morning, you're alive, we live in this world. But he goes on to say, we do not wage war as the world does. He's saying once again, it's not a physical war that you're in. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. I want you to remember those two words because I'm going to come back towards the end of this message. Demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, let me make a statement. Everybody that can see me, everybody that can hear me, you're here in person, you're online. God is far more interested in changing your mind than he is in changing your circumstances. God is far more interested. What he wants to do is he wants to change your mindset. And hence the word, he wants to change your mindset. See, you can try your best to change your mindset. And you know, many of you have failed and failed week, month, year after year. I have tried to make this 180 degree turn. I've tried to turn away from that poor decision. I've tried to turn away from whatever that is, that stronghold that Paul just talked about. I'm trying to toward, turn towards what's good. What's something that, that God has, has given me, his blessings, his holiness, his word. Whatever that case may be, I'm trying to turn away from what's bad, what's evil, what's wrong, and turn to what's good. Many times, this is our prayer. Our prayer is, God, please remove this circumstance from me. This adversity, this struggle that I'm going through, this temptation that's there in front of me, our prayer is always, almost always, God, please remove it. Please remove it. Please pull me away out of it. But God is saying, no. God is saying, trust me, come to me. What does my word say? You're going through this adversity. You're going through this struggle. I'm going to be with you as you go through it. I'm not going to pull you out of it. But guess what? If you hold on to me and trust me, as you come through it out on the other end, you'll be closer to God, hopefully making better and wiser decisions. 
It's not rocket scientists, church. It's not. But it's a mindset that we have. Do you remember when Pharisees came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 22? Now, the Pharisees were always coming to Jesus. They were always trying to attack him, to discredit him, to make him look like a fool, to make it look like he doesn't know what he's talking about. And towards the end of his ministry, his three-year ministry there in Matthew 22, the Pharisees came to him, and they kind of ganged up on him. And they asked him what they thought was a phenomenal question. There's no way he can answer this question right. They said to him, Rabbi, what is the greatest commandment? Now, they know they're going back to the law of the Old Testament. They're going back to the law that God gave to Moses and the nation of Israel. And they know how holy that was, the law. And so they knew that there's no way Jesus could answer, well, just one of them is the greatest, because they were all equally in, in their eyes. But if you recall how Jesus answered that, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, your being. And then he says, with all your what? Your mind. Now, I have been in the ministry, full-time ministry, for over 30 years. And I've done a lot of counseling. I've done a lot of Bible studies. I've had a lot of conversations with folks. And I think a lot of people really have a good grasp of how do I take care of my heart? And if you're a child of God, if that means that you have made a decision, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He is your King, then you have taken care of your soul that will live for eternity. But I think where we struggle many times as believers, as God's children and His family, is with the mind, is where we struggle. Paul says this in Romans 12 too, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good and pleasing, perfect will. So Paul has clearly, in three different passages, from Philippians to 2 Corinthians to Romans, and there's many other passages I could show you and share with you how the battle that we have every single day is in the mind. Now, as I told you about going back to my deployment, my very first deployment, and making sure I was a part of all those pre-combat uh, the checks and making sure that the soldiers and all the briefings and information they got. And I told you that one of the key elements that they wanted to know was the enemy. Let me share with you that we have an enemy. Matter of fact, we have an enemy, and that enemy uses two, two ways, two means, two methods to come at you every single day. So the first one is who is the enemy? Well, the Bible clearly tells us it is Satan. Now, what does Satan do? Satan cannot attack God, much less defeat him. He can't do that. So what does Satan do? He attacks God's family. Well, who is God's family? That's the church. That's you and I. If you want to attack me, then attack me. You know what? As a matter of fact, I probably just will say, all right, I'm not sure why you're doing that. I don't like that, but I'm just going to get away from you. But if you attack my family, then we got a problem. That's what Satan does. He's going to come after you because he knows that's the means that he uses to get after God and to attack him indirectly. And so Satan is going to come after you every single day. He diverts us from our purpose. He distracts us from God's voice. He destroys our potential and he distorts the truth is what he does. Satan also uses our old nature. Now, what do I mean by our old nature? Do you recall a time before you came to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What was your life like? You were 
making decisions on your own. You were out there maybe struggling. Maybe there was a lot of pain and, and suffering in your life. But somewhere, somehow, you heard the gospel. You heard Jesus, that God sent his son to die for you. And you made a decision to do a 180, to turn from your sin, to turn from yourself, and to turn towards God and to give your life, to give your soul to Jesus Christ. And you made that decision. And the Bible tells us, many passages, that the old nature, the flesh, the sin nature is gone. And behold, now you are a new person, a new creation, is what the Scriptures tell us. But here's some bad news I got for you. Is that old flesh, the old sin nature, it still likes to rear its ugly head, as they say, every now and then. Matter of fact, it actually do it often. Paul tells us in many different passages, but especially there in Romans, he talks to us about, I know what I'm supposed to do, but yet I don't do it. And I know what I'm not supposed to do, and I find myself acting and doing that. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 7, he has that internal battle that he's going through, that mindset of why do I do these things that I know that are unholy, that are not from God, but yet I struggle with not doing those things. That's the old flesh that we struggle with every day, the old nature. And here's the third thing that Satan will use. He'll use the world, and he'll use the world's value system. He'll use the world, and he'll use that value system. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is we are bombarded every single day with the value system of this world. Whether it's through internet, through television, through radio, through other readings, through people, I mean, the list could go on and on of all the influences that are out there that we are bombarded with that run counter to God's word, but yet we find ourselves putting that stuff into our mind. You know, my mom always said when I was growing up, she would say, Greg, what you put in is what's coming out. What you put in is what's going to come out. And if you are putting the world's value system into your mindset, you're going to find that that's what's going to come out in your decision-making process. And those battles you will lose. And Satan knows that. Satan knows that. Paul says this in Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right. Here's thing. Paul is listing these things that what we should be focusing on in our lives. Noble, right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Paul was saying, put into practice and the God of peace be with you. So Paul right there is talking about those things that we should be focusing on, but yet we allow Satan to use the flesh and the value system in this world to attack us and, of course, indirectly attack God. Now, in that passage that I just shared with you, there's a, a three-step quick process that I want you to see there in Philippians. The first one is this. Paul says, think about such things. What is he saying right there? That's a thought. He's saying, there's the thought that you have. And then he says, a little bit later, right in that passage, then put it into practice. You've got the thought, now put it into practice. Those things, what is admirable, what is holy, what is noble, put those things into practice. So you got the thought, then you got the action. And then he goes on to say, if you do that, you'll have an experience. What's the experience? He says, the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you in your battles. The God of peace will be with you to help you get through those. 
He's saying there's a thought and action and experience, and it has to go in that order. But here's the problem. So many believers today just want the experience. They fail to think of the thought and then the action. They just say, God, where's your experience? Where are these things that I'm supposed to be thinking about? But yet we don't do it the way God tells us to do it. Now, I've had the opportunity uh, when I went through seminary, I've got my theological training, but I was able also to get a, a master's in counseling. And that has paid huge dividends for me in my military career because as an army chaplain, I do a lot of counseling. I've tried over the last several years being removed from that education of my counseling. I've tried to stay up on some of the, the new you know, books that are being published, some of the short uh, other small writings of publications that deal with the cognitive and psychology. And it's been interesting too because uh, our, my middle daughter, she's currently a psychology major at Liberty University. And sometimes I've had the opportunity to talk to her about some of her psychology classes. And likewise, learn what some of the new techniques that they're talking to you about. But here's the neat thing. Over the last five to 10 years, a lot of these secular publications, if you read them, they've started to really write some of their, their ways they're kind of recommending or advising people. Now, remember, these are not biblical writers, Christian writers. These are all secular publications, but they're talking about the battle of the mind. They're talking about for you to overcome your, uh, these adversities or these pain or, or anxiety or fears or doubts, that you have to start with understanding your thought process. Now, the Bible from the beginning when God wrote it, he put that all there. That's something that's not new if you're a believer and you've been in the word. But I think it's very interesting now that secular psychology and cognitive behavior writings are starting, starting to become kind of almost parallel, kind of coinciding or coming alongside the Bible and what it's saying as far as the battle of the mind. And so when that happens, it really should kind of raise your spidey senses to say, what? Why are they saying this? Now, we should know that as a child of God because the Bible teaches that and tells us that. And throughout this series, that's one of the things that Pastor Jimmy is going to go more in depth talking about the mindset, especially, you know, what does science, what does the Bible say, and what are some other practical steps of going through that? So, if we've identified that we're in a battle every single day, a war, and we have daily battles, and we've identified the enemy and some of the tactics that the enemy uses, why is it that we still fall into the trap of what he's doing? If you go back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you know that God created. The most powerful words in all the Bible are in the beginning. It all started right there. In Genesis 1 and 2, God created Adam and Eve. They had the Garden of Eden. They had it all. Matter of fact, there was no kids there at time. I mean, it was perfect for them right? But then all of a sudden we get to Genesis chapter 3, and then what happens? Genesis chapter 3 comes along, and it changes everything, because that's where Satan, using the serpent, comes to Eve. And it says here in Genesis chapter 3, very, verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, and look what he says, he says to Eve, did God really say that? You must not eat from the tree of the garden, of any tree of the garden? 
I don't know the tone that the serpent had. <laughs> I wasn't there. You weren't there. But I think it was probably along those lines of, did he really say that? Come on, Eve. So what was he doing? If you continue on in the following passages, we won't read them. But if you do read that on, you will see that that was the goal that Satan was using to deceive. Remember I said a little bit ago, Satan deceives, he destroys. That's what he's doing right there. He is destroying the relationship between man, Adam and Eve, and God. He is doing that through deceiving her by getting her to question, can you really trust God? He's getting her to doubt God. That was his goal, and it worked because he planted a seed. We don't know the timeline. Once he planted that seed, did it immediately happen? Did Eve take of the fruit? Was it the next day? Was it weeks? Was it a season later? We don't know the timeline, but what we do know was he planted a seed and she eventually lost the battle because she focused upon what he planted and not on what God promised. God had promised her and Adam, but yet she chose to be deceived by the serpent. It's no different than today. That's what happens. That's what happens. So now, what do we do? Why is it important that we win this battle? Why is it important that we manage our thought life? If we've identified a battle war and the enemy, and we realize that he does this, Satan does to attack us, to deceive us, why is it important? Let me share with you three quick things. First of all, our mind is a battleground. You have to acknowledge that. In counseling, whenever I'm meeting with somebody and they come in to talk to me and they start sharing with me what it is that they're struggling with or the problem, whatever that may be, one of the things that I ask them, one is you have to acknowledge that that is a problem. Do you have a problem? And if they acknowledge it, the second thing is, what are you going to do about it? Because they may acknowledge they've got a problem, but they're not going to act on it. Go back to that action that we talked about. Our mindset is the battleground, and we have to acknowledge that it all begins right here between the years. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, 22 and 23, I love to do God's will so far as my new nature is concerned, but there is something else deep within me that is at war with my mind and wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin within me. In my mind, I want to be God's servant. There's three words in that passage that Paul writes there that I want you to highlight or just think about. He uses the word war, We've already established that. He uses the word fight. That's the battle that you're in. And then he says slave, because his goal is to enslave you with those strongholds that we read earlier. So we have to identify that our mind is where the battleground begins. Here's the second thing, that our thoughts control our lives. You are heading in the direction of your greatest thoughts. You are heading in the direction of what you think about the most. And you remember, I said earlier, God is more concerned with changing your mind than your circumstances because what you think is where you're going to head towards. Proverbs 4.23 says, be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. And then the third thing about the why is it's a battleground, but it's also that winning the battle in our mind is the key to peace and happiness. I would think probably most of you would like to have peace and happiness. It's a new year. I'm tired of this battle. I'm tired of losing the battle. I would love to have this peace and happiness that passes all understanding that the Bible talks about, that God promises. An unmanaged mind leads to tension. A managed mind leads to happiness. An unmanaged mind leads to pressure. 
A managed mind leads to peace. An unmanaged mind will lead to stress, but a managed mind leads to security. An unmanaged mind leads to chaos and disorder and confusion, but a managed mind leads us to that peace and happiness that he talks about. Paul also says in Romans 8, if your sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. So that's the why. Now, the question you may be asking is, okay, Greg, if that's, we've identified all those things that you shared with us, and we understand why it's important that we control our thoughts. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Now, the answer is easy, but it's also difficult. Now, you're probably thinking, uh, that's kind of like an oxymoron. Well, I'm going to give you the answer that's easy, and I'm going to let Pastor Jimmy give you the difficult side of it over the next several weeks. <laughs> but ultimately, even as we go through this series, I want you to keep this at always in the forefront of your mind as we go through this. And I want you to keep it in the forefront of your mind, even as you leave this place. And if you're online, as you go throughout this day and another week, you come back next week or join us online, I want you to know how you can win the battle in 2023. You can be victorious. Here's the easy answer. The easy answer is this. Feed your mind with the truth. It's that simple. It is that simple. If God is our creator, if he is our sustainer of life, if he made us, if he wired us, as he told the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter one, I knew you before I reformed you in your mother's womb. If you read Psalm 39, how we are beautifully and wonderfully made. If we acknowledge that God is our creator, he's the one that made us, he's the one that wrote this, to give us that roadmap, to give us the means to be victorious in those struggles, in that war, in the battle, to defeat Satan and the tools that he uses. Why don't we use it? Why? Yet we will use all these other secular things that are out there and resources and say, hey, I need this, I need that. I'm going to use what this person's saying. I'm going to use what this book is writing about. But yet we fail to go to this daily and understanding the truth. Not a truth. This is the truth only truth right here. David wrote this in Psalm 119. David says, I rise early to cry out for help and I put my hope in your words. He's talking about God's word. He goes on to say, Psalm 119, 97, Lord, how I love your word. I think about it all day long. David also writes in Psalm 16, 7, even in the darkest of night, your teachings fill my mind. When King Saul was the king of Israel, he was the first king. He had disobeyed God, and so God was going to remove him. David was next in line to succeed him. Saul got very jealous of David, and so he tried on many failed attempts to take David's life. And if you know that story, David ran, was on the run. During one of those times when he was hiding from King Saul, God spoke to David, and this is what David wrote in Psalm 119, 95. Even when wicked people hide to ambush and kill me, and I think right there we could put anything in there. Wicked people, Satan, the world's value system, our old nature, those things that are coming against us every single day, you can put it in the very beginning of that passage. 
But what does David say? I quietly keep my mind on your decrees. I quietly keep my mind on the truth, on the word of God. So 2 Timothy 10, 3 and 5. Remember I read that and I said those two words are going to come back. Well, here we are. Demolish strongholds. The Greek word for stronghold defines the word stronghold as a lie that I believe. It's a lie that you have fully bought into is what a stronghold is. It it doesn't mean partially, 50%, 99%. That's not what a stronghold is. A stronghold means that you have fully accepted and embraced that lie and you now believe that lie. And that's why Paul writes there when he uses that word stronghold, because he knows in the battle of the mind, that stronghold, if it's got you, whatever it is, that's what's going to control your thought process. But what does Paul say? He says that the divine power to demolish those strongholds. The Greek word there for demolish really means almost like just obliteration, completely destruction, like a wrecking ball just taking out a wall or taking out a building. It is totally just gone in shambles. But how do you do that? How do you demolish those strongholds? He says, divine power, the Word of God. I have a friend who pastored a church several years ago down in Tennessee, right outside of Knoxville. It was his first church that he... uh, went to pastor several years ago. He went to pastor this church. When he got to this church, he realized that a lot of the, the men in the church loved to fish. He was not a fisherman. He did not grow up fishing, my friend. But he saw that if I'm going to really connect with uh, the men of this church, a lot of them, especially the leaders, I need to take up fishing. So he went out and bought him a fishing rod. I remember him asking me, because I grew up fishing a lot. He asked me a few questions. I talked to him about the, the rod, the reel, you know, the right line, lure. I was getting all kinds of information to him. He was lost. I said, listen, just go buy you something at Walmart. It's not about the fishing. It's about hanging out with the men, right? Yes, go do it. Well, he said that the very first time they went out fishing, him and two other men of his their deacon board, elders of his church, they took him on the Tennessee River right over next to Loudoun County. Some of you may be familiar with that area. And there's a big hydroelectric dam that's right there on the Tennessee River. Fort Loudoun, I think it's called, Hydro Dam. He says that they went at nighttime. Now, he really was kind of freaked out about this. Like, we're going fishing. I'm already kind of intimidated to go fishing in the daytime, but we're going to go out on the river, the Tennessee River at nighttime? Well, there was a specific type of fish that they were trying to catch. It was a bass, a striper bass. And he said a lot of times at night, they'll put the lights, they'll hang lights over the boat and that will draw the fish up. And so that makes it easier to catch. They enjoy that and that's what they were doing. Well, he said that they were out there for about an hour when one of the lights that they had actually fell off the little rod they had going out, little pole, it fell off and sunk. So they had two other lights. Well, it just so happened that he said that those two battery operated lights that they were using Nobody thought about bringing new batteries and the batteries both went out on those two lights. Well, he starts laughing as he's telling me this because he says, here I am already scared about what we're doing out there in the middle of this massive river and at nighttime. And now we're in complete darkness. And I start laughing because he said right behind us about three, 400 feet or so is a hydroelectric dam that produces enough 
electricity and power to power Eastern Tennessee and surrounding states. But we're in total darkness and have no way of tapping into that. Now they eventually made their way off, off the river. He's still doing well, pastoring, or he's another ministry in Alabama. But why do I share that story with you? I share that story because the greatest power, that passage that Paul talks about, demolishing strongholds, the words right before that are divine power. The greatest power we have, the truth of God's word, combined with the Holy Spirit, I think it's one of those things that many of us as believers fail to tap into. The greatest way that we have to defeat the strongholds and defeat Satan and become victorious is to tap in the ultimate power, not the power of the flesh, not the power of the world, not the power of anything else, the person to your left or right, no other writing that's out there, nothing, nothing you see on TV or on Google or on the internet is tapping into the divine power, the Holy Spirit combined with the word, the truth, you will be victorious. And I'm telling you that not because I have ultimate power, I'm telling you that because that's what God's word says. Let me close by saying this to you. Probably one of the greatest passages in the scripture about spiritual warfare is Ephesians chapter six. Now, I didn't read that. I want you to read that on your own time. You got some homework. As we go through this series, I want you to keep Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 17, also kind of in the forefront of your mind. Because right there, Paul describes a Roman soldier. And he specifically lists all the elements of his body armor, his helmet, his, all the way down his body to the soles of his feet, his sandals, what, he, what this soldier would wear. Now, that's an analogy because, once again, it's not physical, it's spiritual. And he gets to the very end of that passage, that section there in Ephesians chapter 6. And this is what he says in verse 17. It's going to be on the screen. He says this, and the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Did you know that all those from verses 10 through 16 are defensive gear? That that soldier is wearing, it's all for defense. It's all to protect their mind, their head, all the way down to their feet when they're in combat. That's what that is. There's only one offensive weapon that that soldier has there in that passage. And it says right there on the screen, you'll see it behind me, the Word of God. That is the sword. That is the offensive weapon that we have. What does offensive mean? That means you go on the attack. Don't just sit back and let Satan attack you every single day in these battles. Use the truth, use the Word of God, and use the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for Paul. We thank you for your word from Genesis to Revelation. But we thank you that you laid it upon Paul. You gave him inspiration to write. And what he wrote 2,000 years ago still applies to us today. Because we're still in a war. We're still in a battle. And so, Father, my prayer is for those that are here, for those that are online, that they have been able to say, yes, I am in a battle. I am struggling. I pray, Father, that those individuals will follow, change their mindset, 
change by what they're putting in to get rid of the garbage, get rid of the what Satan has thrown out there, the doubt, the insecurities, how to, to come over that fear and anxiety, is to fill our mind with the truth, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, Father, there's somebody that's here or, or online that has never made a decision to make you Lord and King. They've heard what we've talked about. They've heard Jesus died for them, that God sent Christ to this earth ultimately to go to the cross for you if you're out there and you want to make that decision I ask right now if you would pray with me just say this Father I come to you today I come to you as a sinner and I confess my sins and I ask you to please forgive me and I believe that you went to the cross you shed your blood, had your body broken. You were put in a grave, but I believe three days later, you resurrected that divine power, brought you back to life. And now you sit at the right hand of the Father. You are God. And I ask you to come into my life, to come into my soul, and to be my Lord and King. Father, I ask this in your name. Amen and amen. Let's give those who made a decision a hand.